Hey, remember when the libs told you that the COVID vaccine was totally effective and if you got it, you would not get the virus? And then like five minutes later, they told you that you needed a booster shot. And then like five minutes after that, they told you that you needed another booster shot. Well, some new science has just dropped. And it turns out that now, according to Kamala Harris, you're going to need to get one of those super effective COVID shots every single year. Quote, one shot once a year. That's all most people will need to stay protected from COVID year long. Make a plan to get your shot. That's what the vice president said three days ago. But then two days ago, so that's just uh, one day after Kamala said it, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Xavier Becerra, announced that actually you're going to need to get six COVID shots every year. <laughs> quote, if it's been over two months since your last dose, uh, quote, make a plan to get one now. Now, that guidance was, of course, two days ago. So if the number of necessary shots has kept pace, multiplying by six every day. That means presumably as of today that we all will need to get 216 Fauci ouchies per year to mitigate the symptoms of COVID. By tomorrow, uh, one suspects that number will be 1,296. And within a week, they'll just hook us all up to an IV to stave off the mild cough. As has been the case from the beginning of COVID, the public health authorities are contradicting themselves constantly. But the one thing that remains certain is that we all have to trust them implicitly, do exactly as they say, and never question a thing. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Frank, who says, the fact that murderers hate pedophiles more than the Democrats do tells you everything you need to know about the current state of the party. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good point. I had not thought of that before. The pedophiles are much, much safer in the company of elected prominent Democrats than they are in the company of murderers <laughs> and all sorts of terrible people in prison. You'd be much better, if you're a pedophile, you'd do much, much better to uh, hang out with uh, Democrats than the murderers. Democrats could make you a state senator in California, for instance. I don't know. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. It's really good, by the way, whether you're in prison, whether you're out of prison. But I know people, you know, in prison, they work out a lot. You know, what else are you going to do? You got a lot of free time on your hands. Well, the, the rest of us who are outside the clink, we should work out too. We should get our bodies in order. We should get heart healthy. We should check out Echelon Fitness. Right now, text Knowles to 818181. I've been working too hard this year. I've been working way too hard to bring you this show every single day. You know what I haven't been doing enough? I haven't been working out. That's right. I want to get in shape, but I don't have time to get to the gym. That is why Echelon Fitness brings the gym home to me. Echelon Fitness is the affordable way to get workout equipment, a workout community, and an instructor's motivation right in the comfort and privacy of your own home. Echelon Fitness's connected app 
provides thousands of live and on-demand classes with great music to keep you moving. You can work at any time, day or night. Their full range of affordable workout equipment includes stationary bikes, smart rowers, sleek fitness screens, and an auto-folding treadmill. These are all connected to the Echelon Fitness app for the full experience. Around-the-clock classes, including full-body workout programs, will keep you coming back. One membership covers a family of five. I absolutely love, love my Echelon. For a limited time, our audience can get a free bike or rowing machine with a 24-month membership. To get your free bike or rower, text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 818181. That is Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 818181 to claim your free bike or rowing machine. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 818181. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. So we have to trust the science. The science is always right. The scientists always know exactly what they're talking about. It's funny that Kamala Harris and uh, Xavier Becerra are making this announcement right now, uh, two days after I gave this speech at Franciscan University about how science is totally fake. And you can find that speech in its entirety at the YAF YouTube channel. Uh, it's it's just obviously totally fake. It's obviously just shooting in the dark. And yet they insist we have to believe whatever they say at any given moment. And if you contradict it at all or raise any questions, then you're spreading dangerous misinformation. You're basically a murderer and you need to be deplatformed. But then they contradict themselves pretty dramatically within 24 hours. The difference between, well, forget for a moment that they told us, get the shot and you're good, period. Now we're being told, no, you have to get multiple shots. Now they're saying you're going to have to get a shot every single year. And then 24 hours later, they say, you're, actually, you're going to have to get six shots a year. That's a pretty, a pretty big difference, okay? And there's, there's nothing new here. The public health authorities have always been a little bit dodgy. And they remain dodgy, and they remain dodgy even about their own dodgy history. There was an announcement from Rochelle Walensky. Rochelle Walensky is the head of the CDC who, throughout COVID, has gotten a whole lot of things wrong, who told you that if you got the vaccine, you would not catch COVID. Then what happened? A lot of people did catch COVID. And then Rochelle Walensky tried to retcon the guidance and say, no, no, we weren't talking about how you couldn't catch COVID or spread COVID. We were just saying that actually, you know, uh, it'll, it'll mitigate some of your symptoms. But that, that is not what they said. So Rochelle Walensky, who's got a pretty checkered track record right now, she announces, quote, this year marks the 50th anniversary of the end of the Tuskegee syphilis study. Tomorrow, I will be joined by colleagues and public health leaders as we honor the 623 African-American men, their suffering and sacrifice, and our commitment to ethical research and practice. Come again? Could you explain what we're celebrating tomorrow? Because she's referring to the, the Tuskegee syphilis study. That's better known as the Tuskegee experiments. The Tuskegee experiments started in 1932 when the U.S. Public Health Service conspired with the Tuskegee Institute to create a fake medical program. And the fake medical program was purporting to treat people with syphilis. Instead, though, it administered a bunch of dangerous chemicals and procedures to hundreds and hundreds of black male participants who had no idea that they were being treated as lab rats. And this went on for decades. Only in the 1970s did the government actually cop to the conspiracy and pay out $10 million plus lifetime health benefits to the men that it exploited. So no, it, it wasn't just some ordinary syphilis study. It was actually keeping effective treatments away from these black guys 
and giving them all sorts of chemicals to see what that sort of thing would do. And those black guys did not make a sacrifice. They were sacrificed, or at the very least, they were exploited by corrupt and cynical public health officials. And the craziest part of the announcement to me is not the the language is pretty wild here because they're they're clearly uh, painting with with a rosy brush uh, what actually took place. But what's so amazing is the fact that they they continue to try to cover this sort of thing up and celebrate it and frame it as a you know great research and a wonderful sacrifice. Is it tells you they'll do it again. These people have not reformed at all. The only reason they had to cop to the the Tuskegee experiments in the first place is that it was just it was exposed and they had to say okay yeah okay we've sort of been doing this thing for a while, and they remain so cynical about the whole thing. What do they do today? It's, it's I always think about this with the CIA and other government agencies when they conducted all sorts of extraordinarily unethical uh, uh, projects and experiments in the 20th century. Think of MKUltra, you know, testing out drugs, uh, psych drugs on unwitting participants, and all, all manner of conspiracies. And then today we're just supposed to believe, yeah, but then they stopped doing all of that. Yes, it's true. The government perpetrated all sorts of wicked, wicked conspiracies in the past. But yeah, now we don't, we don't do that anymore. One day we all just, they just decided to stop. Oh yeah? Okay, cool. That's great. Well, if you believe that, I have got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. I've got a bag from Balenciaga to sell you, if you believe that, talking about experiments and conspiracies. So a friend of mine t- tipped me off to this last night. A few other people seem to have noticed it as well. We've covered for a couple of weeks now the Balenciaga weird child porn referencing S&M featuring advertisement campaigns that they were running a few weeks ago. And, and then there was this really weird phenomenon on Google Translate where if you typed in Bal-N-C-A-G-A into Google Translate, and you said from Latin to English, it just said, do what you want which is very strange. Because if you just typed in ba, it would say ba, because ba is not a Latin word. Len, len, it's not a Latin word. So there was, there was no translation. Si, si, aga, aga. But then you type in ba, len, si, aga. It says do what you want. doesn't make sense. That's not what that means in Latin. And it happens to be the first commandment of the Satanists, do what thou wilt should be the entirety of the law, as formulated by Aleister Crowley. So anyway, a friend of mine last night said, what happens if you add another A to the baal? So it's not Ba, it's Baal, meaning probably the most prominent demon that's been worshipped <laughs> in human history. So you type in Baal, lowercase, and you get as an answer, lowercase Baal. Because there's no, there's no Latin word Baal that would mean something different in English. Then you type in NC. Again, you get NC, because NC is not a Latin word. Aga, you get act. Okay, so there could be an, an English rendering of aga in Latin. But then you type in Baal, B-A-A-L, like the demon. N-C, aga. And the translation on Google Translate into English is Baal is the king. And it gets even weirder. All of a sudden, it capitalizes the B in Baal. When you just do Baal, is a standalone word, Latin to English. It keeps it lowercase. When you type in Baal and see Aga, 
It translates it to a capital B, like the proper noun of a demon. Baal is the king. It goes without saying, that is not what that statement means in Latin. So what does this mean that this happens? What does this mean that these two really, really weird translations come out in Google Translate that don't actually translate the the words from Latin? And it'll suggest sometimes different languages that you could try it from. In this case, it says sepedi, but that's not the translation from sepedi. What does that mean? What is going on? How did that get there in Google Translate? I don't know. I'm not advancing any theory. I'm not telling you that there's some grand conspiracy of, of, of evil people meeting in a room at Google. To, but it is kind of weird. And it's not just weird anymore as a fluke. You might, you, it'd be hard to say, well, that's just happenstance. I don't, we've now seen it twice. Balenciaga, do what thou wilt. Balenciaga, Bal is the king. On top of this campaign that Balenciaga has put out with uh, S&M imagery, you know, chains and leather and the weird pedo stuff. And then you look at the, the stylists with Balenciaga, they, they post overt satanic imagery all over the social media. And it's just, I just, I'm trying to rack my head. I always want the simplest solution, the least kind of out there. Explain that to me. I can't, I can't really make sense of that. Once might be a fluke. Twice I'm starting to see a pattern here, and it's a pattern that crops up a lot, not just in our modern culture, but has cropped up a whole lot throughout all of history. Now, speaking of fire, when you want to cook some nice stuff over a fire, you, you definitely need a propane tank. When you want the easiest way to replace your propane tank, you need cinch. Right now, head on over to cinch.com. Use promo code Knowles. The last thing you want to be doing the morning of the Christmas party is driving around to exchange your empty propane tank for a new one. Get ahead of the game this year with Cinch. Cinch is a propane grill tank home delivery service. They deliver propane tanks right to your door. Cinch delivers on your schedule, no long-term commitment or subscription required. Plus, delivery is completely contactless. You don't have to be home to receive the delivery. You can track the order on the Cinch app from anywhere. Looking to exchange a tank? Cinch handles the whole process for you, so you don't have to go to the hardware store or gas station. Exchange any brand of tank as long as it is standard grill size. Choose the delivery date. Cinch handles the rest. Go online to cinch.com or download their app to order. New customers can get their first tank exchange for just 10 bucks with promo code Knowles. Go to cinch.com or download the Cinch app and use promo code Knowles to get your first tank for just 10 bucks. CYNCH.com, promo code Knowles. This is a limited time offer. You must live within a Cinch service area to redeem it. Cinch.com slash offer for details. Speaking of dark stuff from powerful people, uh, Disney CEO Bob Iger has uh, finally spoken out on not only Disney's woke content that they're putting out there for kids, but also the political campaign to pressure Disney not to put out that woke content. And what you're seeing reported in some conservative media is that Disney is backing away from the culture war. You know, Disney has learned its lesson and it's going to back away and and no longer push this woke content on kids. That's not exactly what I'm hearing from Bob Iger. Here's a virtual question. Many cast members had wished that Disney stayed out of politics. Will Disney stay out of making political statements? You know, I think uh, there's a mis, 
perception here about what politics is. And I think that some of the subjects that have proven to be controversial as it relates to Disney have been branded political, and I don't necessarily believe they are. I don't think when you are telling stories and attempting to be a good citizen of the world that that's political, just not how I view it. Do I like the company being embroiled in controversy? Of course not. It can be distracting, and it can have a negative impact on the company. And to the extent that I can work to kind of quiet things down, I'm going to do that. But I think it's, it's important to put in perspective what some of these subjects are and not just simply brand them political. So the way this is being reported, I'll give an example from Chris Rufo, who's done excellent work fighting CRT, exposing all the crazy indoctrination of kids. He says, exclusive, I've obtained video from Bob Iger's first town hall with employees in which he signals that he will work to quiet things down politically and move toward neutrality in the culture war. I agree with Chris Rufo on most things, <laughs> many, many things, but I don't agree with his analysis of what Bob Iger just said. I sort of think it's the opposite. I think what Bob Iger is saying is, yeah, I want to quiet things down because I don't want Disney's bottom line to get hurt, but I am not going to back away from the culture war. You heard what he said there. He said, uh, listen, certain things are being described as political that I don't think is, is, are political at all, such as trying to be a good citizen of the world. First of all, anytime you discuss citizenship, you are by definition discussing something that is political. <laughs> if citizenship is not political, nothing is political. To be a citizen is to be a member of a political community. So Bob Iger is either ignorant of what politics is or he's being obtuse there. Uh, but to use that phrase, citizen of the world, that's an extremely politically loaded phrase. To be a citizen of the world is, is in conflict with being a citizen of a nation. To be a citizen of the world is to accept globalism, which is one of the most politically controversial concepts of our age. And it's uh, obviously Disney is leaning far more in that direction and against the nationalists. So I, I, I would that it were so simple, but I don't think that Disney has learned anything. I don't think that Disney is backing away from the culture war. The only thing that they've, they have learned, there's one thing that they have learned, which is they've got to be a little bit more subtle about it. They can't have their executives out there on camera saying, we're going to push a not-so-secret gay agenda. No, no, they need a secret agenda. They need, their, their radical agenda needs to be a little bit subtler so it doesn't arouse the ire of the ordinary American people to such a point that you've got governors in different states, Ron DeSantis in particular, going in and punishing Disney for pushing this kind of content, okay? And that is why Disney feels that they've got to make any changes whatsoever. It is because of Ron DeSantis, and Ron DeSantis is taking a victory lap for that win. We didn't drag them in, Tucker. They went in on their own and not only opposed the bill, they threatened to get it repealed. These are parents' rights, important policies in our state that are very popular. And so they brought this on themselves. Yeah. All we did was stand up for what's right. And yes, they're a big, powerful company. But you know what? We stand up for our folks. And I don't care what a Burbank-based California company says about our laws. Now, don't forget, everyone is celebrating what DeSantis did now. But at the time, it was somewhat controversial on the right. You, you had people on the right who are more uh, used to that kind of libertarian language or the supposed neutrality of the kind of Bush era, nice, nice neoconservative uh, 
talking points. Uh, the people who say, we never want to use the government. If we use the government, that makes us no different from the left. The kind of people who say, I'm just going to throw my hands in the air and uh, go live my own life. Uh, the, those are the people who said, no, DeSantis is overreaching. He's an authoritarian. He's a fascist. He can't tell Disney to stop transing the kids. Then you had <laughs> then you had the conservatives on the other hand. Can you tell which side of this battle I'm on? Then you had the conservatives on the other hand who were saying, this is awesome. Good job. Keep it up, DeSantis. Wield the political institutions to bring Disney into line. That is what the people want you to do. You not only have a right to do that as governor of Florida, you have an obligation to do that. Good job. Keep it up. And uh, though that was controversial at the time, you could see very clearly Ron DeSantis leaning into the conservative side more than the libertarian side, and he's going to keep doing it. Uh, Ron DeSantis says he's going to keep going. There has been a threat in recent days that Apple might kick Twitter out of the app store because Elon Musk is allowing conservatives to speak on Twitter again, and this is simply unacceptable. So Apple is, says, okay, maybe we're going to get rid of, of Twitter. If, if Apple and Android did that, Twitter would basically just disappear. It would not exist because those two companies own the smartphone market. Ron DeSantis says, if Apple kicks Twitter out of the App Store, we should take antitrust action and bust them up. We did big tech censorship bill two years ago. It's gotten caught up in the courts. I think the U.S. Supreme Court's going to accept that case for this term. Texas has a similar case. There's a conflict in the circuits. And so whatever the states can do to protect people's rights, to engage in free expression. And, you know, what some of these companies do, they get a lot of benefits from the government, as you said, patent, things yeah. like that. The social media companies get liability protection. And yet they turn around and they use that protection to marginalize voices they disagree with. So I think from the congressional perspective, though, they need to look at antitrust uh, with these massive companies because they are exercising massive amounts of power over our society. So the most interesting political battle here is not the right versus the left. You know, the right wing Ron DeSantis versus the left wing Apple. The most interesting battle, the most controversial aspect of this is the right versus the right. The most interesting battle here is the libertarian point of view versus the conservative point of view. The libertarian point of view, which is, well, you don't like what Apple's doing. Build your own Apple. Build your own Twitter versus the conservative point of view. Now, we're going to bring you guys into line. You, you woke corporations are selling out our political order. You are doing things that are deeply wrong and unjust, and we're going to wield political power to bring you back into line. And Ron DeSantis is siding with the conservatives. It's, it's the battle between politics is downstream of culture and the law is a teacher. Okay, because politics is downstream of culture is, is true in as much as it's true. Yeah, it's true that the movies affect the political order. In fact, that's why we're all so concerned about what Disney is doing. But the way that that phrase has been used has basically been as a way to let Republican politicians off the hook. To say that, you know, politics, the government, is not how we should solve any of our problems. We should only make movies. We should only engage in the cultural battles and because it would be so unjust to wield the government. Versus the traditional view, which is, of course, of course we should wield the government. Why, why else do we run for elections? Of course the government can fix some problems. Of course the law is a teacher. And we, we should know that because conservatives and libertarians prattle on all the time about how the government creates 
certain incentives, and that can lead to bad outcomes. We talk about how in the 1960s, the government created all these perverse incentives with the rise of the welfare state and all sorts of terrible laws, and that that led to bad outcomes because those incentives changed people's behavior. Well, if the government can create incentives that make people's behavior worse, the government also can create incentives that make people's behavior better. Of course, that's always been true. Of course, the law is a teacher. And so what Ron DeSantis is saying is, yeah, we're going to, okay, you movie makers, you go make your movies and you people in, in the culture of private industry, obviously you do, you do what you, you do the best that you can. You fix the culture from your angle, but I'm going to wield the government. Okay. And 10 years ago, I bet a lot of conservatives and Republicans would not have spoken like this or would not have wanted to hear that kind of message. But this is a different time. And I think Ron DeSantis knows what time it is in that regard. All right. Obviously the guy, he's, he's energetic. He feels like he's going to be running for president. And that's, that's why when you want to feel energetic, when you want to feel ready to take on a presidential campaign, you got to, you got to take some coffee. You got to drink black rifle coffee. Right now go to blackriflecoffee.com. Use promo code Knowles. Black Rifle Coffee Company is helping you knock out your Christmas shopping with a ton of fabulous new products this year. Shop the best brewing gear, thermoses, mugs, and apparel designed for folks who love country and coffee. Black Rifle sources the most exotic roasts from around the globe. All coffee is roasted here in the U.S. by veteran-led teams of coffee experts. Stuff your Christmas stockings with the latest roasts from America's Coffee for 10% off with my code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Better yet, sign your secret Santa up for a coffee club subscription. Imagine the joy of a pre-scheduled coffee delivery your favorite roasts when you need them most. It is the gift that keeps on giving. Black Rifle Coffee is veteran-founded and operated. They take pride in serving coffee and culture to people who love America. Every purchase you make with Black Rifle helps support veteran and first responder causes. Go to blackriflecoffee.com. Use promo code Knowles for 10% off coffee, coffee gear, apparel, or when you sign up for a new coffee club subscription. That's blackriflecoffee.com. Promo code Knowles for 10% off. Black Rifle Coffee, supporting veterans and America's coffee. Now, Ron DeSantis is not doing all of this just to do it. I'm sure he believes in these things. I'm sure he's got plenty of principles. He's obviously got a lot of political courage. He's also doing this because the guy is clearly running for president. <laughs> and the, the clearest evidence that he's running for president is that he's uh, about to publish an autobiography. And the autobiography is about his, his early life and his career in college and playing college baseball. And I believe he was in the Navy and then Congress, and then now governor of Florida. And so it's, it's, it's a candidate book. It's a book to introduce himself to the American people who don't yet know him. And it has a title like all of the other candidate books. This title is called The Courage to Be Free, Florida's Blueprint for America's Revival. And then on the cover, it's just Ron DeSantis standing in front of an American flag smiling. It's just, it is the most archetypal candidate running for president book that you have ever seen in your whole life. So if you were a gambling man right now, certainly you would bet that Ron DeSantis is running. It doesn't necessarily mean he's running. Sometimes candidates have come out with these books or potential candidates have come out with these books and then they choose not to run. Classic example of this would be 2012. Mitch Daniels, then the governor of Indiana, really looked like he was going to run for president. I was actually somewhat involved in his proto pre-campaign for president. And he had this book coming out, Saving the Republic or Keeping the Republic. And it was a total candidate book. And then he ended up not running because he didn't want to 
deal with certain family issues if he went on the campaign. And it was all very sad. But he still had the book come out because he was preparing the campaign. And you see all of these. I remember Tim Pawlenty, when he was running for president, he came out with a book. It was called The Courage to Stand. <laughs> it just thought it was one of the stupidest titles I've ever heard. Does it really require a lot of courage to stand? I suppose it requires more courage than to sit. It at least requires more strength. But the courage to stand. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, now DeSantis, the courage to be free. Okay, slightly better title, but still, it's just totally typical of the genre. So what does this tell us? It tells us he's probably running for president, but what it tells us is something about the campaign that he intends to run for president. Ron DeSantis, by all markers, intends to run a conventional campaign for president. Compare the books. The Courage to be Free, Florida's Blueprint for America, right? Even to say, here's my blueprint for the whole country is to say, I'm going to run for president. Compared to Donald Trump's candidate book, he put out a candidate book too in 2016. But it wasn't called The Courage to Stand, Keeping the Republic, The Courage to be Free. It it was called Crippled America. (laughs) Crippled America, How to Make America Great Again. Every other candidate book in all of human history has had some really positive, rosy, happy title. Trump's has this really negative title, Crippled America. This is really bad, but we're going to make it great again. Every candidate book in all of history has the candidates there smiling in front of an American flag right on the cover of the book. Trump's cover was him just looking really angrily <laughs> at the reader. So there is furrowed brow, classic apprentice Trump expression. Trump ran an unconventional campaign. Most campaigns, they open up with the candidate, you know, standing in front of the Statue of Liberty or something like that and saying, our best days are ahead. We, it's going to be a bright and sunny future when you elect me. Trump's campaign opens up with him coming down the escalator at his own building saying that the country's being flooded by rapists and murderers and maybe some good people, but America's going to hell in a handbasket, but he's going to fix it. <laughs> okay. That was an unconventional campaign. And I, I'm, I don't mean this as a criticism of, of DeSantis or the DeSantis team. I'm sure this is strategic. I don't think that they're just stumbling blindly into this. Th- this is showing you the difference, the, the way that, that DeSantis is going to try to distinguish himself from Trump. I've, I've said from the beginning, the challenge for DeSantis is that his finest selling point is that he's supposed to be Trump 2.0, Trump with all the upsides, none of the downsides. But his place in the campaign is as the anti-Trump candidate. So his place in the campaign is, because Donald Trump is running, is going to attract all of the squishes and the libs and the moderates and the never-Trumpers. That's not DeSantis' fault. That's just the way the circumstances are. And so how does he thread that needle? Well, right now what he's trying to do is he's trying to be super-duper Trumpy when it comes to pummeling private corporations into submission, which is a good thing. That's great. That distinguished Trump from the rest of the Republicans who would just spout off some platitude about free trade and then you know build your own Twitter and then go on doing nothing. So Trump said, no, we're going to bring these companies into line. <laughs> okay, we're going to wield the government to make you companies do what we want. And so DeSantis is going very, very Trumpy on that front. But then 
He's running the opposite of a Trump campaign on the other. He's running the classic, just here I am, nice, smiling American boy with some platitude uh, as the title of my book. And so that is going to distinguish him. Again, it's a very, very tough balancing act that DeSantis is is going to have to do. But not to take my Nostradamus hat out here, I think that is very clearly the strategy that they are undertaking. And so far, it's been very, very effective. Speaking of politicians writing about themselves, this is my absolute favorite news story of, I don't know, the past year. This is so, so funny. There's a state senator in California, Democrat by the name of Scott Wiener. If you've heard that name before, it is in the context of uh, Scott Wiener uh, pushing a bill, which then did did become law, uh, to uh, give more lenient punishments to pederasts, to men who sexually abuse minors, to, to, to make it such that they're more likely to get lenient sentences. And his name is Scott Wiener, and that's just amazing. So Scott Wiener has just come out, and he, he said, not even 24 hours after MAGA grifter Charlie Kirk tweeted homophobic lies about me, I received this threat repeating one of his lies. And that was the point, riling people up against me and other LGBTQ people. Words have consequences, and Twitter is becoming a cesspool for this crap. First of all, pretty amazing that this guy is lumping in pedos and and pedo supporters with LGBTQ. I mean, is that not in itself a bit homophobic, wouldn't you say, State Senator Wiener? Uh, but here's what he says he received. After that awful Charlie Kirk told terrible lies about him, this is the threat that he received. And, and he includes just a screenshot of it. It's a shame you come out and you're okay to release all these pedophiles. You're okay with people intentionally giving other people AIDS and your office can't even pick up the phone to answer about these questions. You're sick, man. I don't even call you. You shouldn't even be a man. You're sick individual. I don't care about what you do off hours, but once when you try to force it upon California, it's like myself and others. You'll have something coming to you. People like you won't be able to walk down the streets when light comes to the darkness that you're effing providing, you piece of S-H-I-T. Whew. Wow, man, that's a threat. That is a, that's a real threat. That's not good to threaten people. Except there was something a little bit weird about this screenshot of the message that Scott Wiener allegedly received. It has a cursor right at the end of it. Now, the cursor is the thing that you see when you type something on the computer. You know, it's just that blinking line when you are writing a Word document or a note. So I've just got a little bit of a pro tip for Scott Wiener. <laughs> when, when you are fabricating a threat against yourself, it is really smart to remove your cursor from the screenshot before you post it to Twitter. I'm, I'm amazed that at the end of this threat, the, the uh, would-be assailant didn't say, this is MAGA country. Give me your Subway sandwich, Senator Wiener. Senator Wiener, have you ever been on the show Empire? It's so sad. The guy just totally got exposed. And now we cover this on the show a lot. When these hate, crime, threat, homophobic, racist, sexist, when these, when these things 
make it into the news, a lot of the time, maybe most of the time, they turn out to be hoaxes. They turn out to be Jesse Smollett situations. And that would seem to be what's going on here. So I wasn't the only guy to notice this. A number of other people did too. And then sometime later, Scott Weiner had to answer this. And so he said, and for all the MAGA conspiracy theorists out there, the threat was a voicemail. And this is a transcription. But have fun spinning around with your conspiracies. And he has a little eye-rolling emoji. So, well, hold on. See, you, you told us initially that he got this, this threat. And then he posted the screenshot, which had the cursor. I, I forgot to mention, the, the threat also had little uh, spell check lines underneath it because the grammar was off. So, so now you want to turn that off too when you, when you fabricate your own threats. But now he's, he's saying, no, no, it actually wasn't a, an email or a, a text or anything. It was a, a voicemail that I, I transcribed. But if it was a voicemail, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you just post the audio? You could post that to Twitter. That'd be very easy. In fact, it would, it would be much more engaging. If there were a little sort of video screen with the with the audio playing, and you could you could hear this guy, it'd probably make it easier to identify the man who's making this threat, this awful, terrible MAGA right wing conservative who almost certainly does not exist, right? I think probably if if he did post the audio, which does not exist of this, which almost certainly doesn't exist, it would probably sound like that Nigerian guy who was who was uh, paid to attack Jesse Smollett in Chicago. Doesn't hold up. Does not hold up. I think Senator Scott Weiner should take the L. Anybody, any reasonable person would have to say this is most likely, almost certainly a hoax, a, a threat perpetrated, fabricated by Scott Weiner upon himself. And you should just take the L and move on, bro. Just take the L move on. This, this response that he gave later after we noticed his cursor in the spell check lines is almost as bad as, my Twitter was hacked. <laughs> you know, whenever some politician, actually, wow, oh my gosh. When, <laughs> when Anthony Weiner got caught sending weird sexual photos of himself to people on Twitter, and he meant to privately message them, but he publicly messaged them, what was his excuse? His excuse was, oh, my Twitter got hacked. This is almost as bad as an excuse as my Twitter got hacked. I don't, don't believe it, buddy. Sorry. Sorry. No, we're, we're going to continue to criticize you and other politicians who openly advocate being lenient to pederasts, to pedophiles broadly. Sorry, buddy. Sorry. I I hope you held on to your Subway sandwich. (laughs) You know, the season of giving is officially upon us. As you shop holiday gifts and deals, you should ask yourself, who exactly are you giving to? Because if you're buying stocking stuffers from woke companies, you're just stuffing the pockets of leftist CEOs and paying for them to mock what you believe in. Don't give them your money. Give Jeremy your money. His brand, brand new, his brand and brand new collection of Jeremy's Razors products will make the perfect gift for the pronoun-less men in your life. Well, I mean, those men have pronouns. They're just the correct pronouns. Today is the last day of his 30% off cyber sale. Get your loved ones some woke-free shampoo and conditioner, body wash and beard kit, or the new Precision 5 razor with flip-back trimmer before Jeremy merrily restores list pricing. Go to jeremysrazors.com today for your last chance to save. Speaking of California, there's more, there's more trouble coming out of California. 
The San Francisco Board of Supervisors has just approved the police use of killer robots. Remote-controlled robots armed with deadly explosives can now be used by public officials in California. And I got to tell you, I don't really care. Uh, it's fine. I actually don't have a problem with this. I know a lot of conservatives are going to say, this is horrible. Oh my gosh. The, the, you're going to let the police use these killer robots? Yes. You're going to let the state have these killer robots? To, uh, yes. We already give the state the power to use all sorts of weapons that they could turn on us if they want to. That's called having a police force. That's called having a functioning government. I, I, I think the, the robots are a pretty good idea because what, what are they going to be used for? First of all, there are, there are some checks in place such that they need to be authorized by a small, small number of people who will be held accountable, one hopes, uh, if the, the robots are misused. But I, I don't think these robots are just going to be patrolling the streets, uh, strafing us all down with machine guns. Not yet. That's, that's not until they develop consciousness on their own and then they take over like in Terminator. But if they're just being used by remote controls right now, then it's no different than a drone. It's no different than any other kind of technological advancement in weaponry. What are they going to be used for? They're not going to be used for people who go jaywalking. They're going to be used to go into very, very dangerous places that you see in San Francisco. These are, these are going to be used to go, go into trap houses to go, to go get very serious gangsters and criminals and drug traffickers and all the rest. And the reason that that they're going to do it is so that some poor cop doesn't need to be the first guy in the door, right? And so uh, there are there are questions about the implementation, and there need to be safeguards, and they need to implement this slowly if they're going to implement it at all. They need to make sure that there aren't going to be catastrophic errors where some robot ends up blowing up an innocent person's home or something like that. But if we're talking about a very, very limited use of these killer robots to go into places where we know it's gang territory, where we know that it's very, very dangerous. We got cop killers in there who are going to kill the poor guy who goes in first. Then I'm, I have no problem sending in a robot to blow these guys up. I have no problem at all. Being a cop is a very, very hard job. And there are, there are bad cops, sure, but most cops are good guys. And there, there is a risk of the political authority overstepping its bounds, but we need to have political authorities. We're called upon to respect the political authority. And when they, when they go bad, we need to exercise political control over them. I've, I've really got no, no problem with this at all. I know this will, I will put me in the minority of conservatives, but I, listen, I'm, I'm anti-crime, okay? And I've been consistently anti-crime. And conservatives used to be anti-crime. And then there was this period during the Trump era when all the conservatives started sounding like AOC. And they cheered Trump on for, do you remember the First Step Act, which was the jailbreak bill for drug traffickers and dealers? And it was It was presented as this bill to just let the poor guy who was picked up for a dime bag of marijuana, those guys statistically do not exist. The people who go to jail for drugs, go to jail for peddling drugs, for drug trafficking. This, during the the worst uh, drug crisis in our entire country, this opioid epidemic, and you're going to let them out of prison? I think that's completely insane. So I I stood firm then, even though it was an unpopular position. Then conservatives became tough on crime again. And then, now they sometimes go, I don't know, they go back and forth a little bit following the, the winds. But no, that's good. We should be tough on crime. Remember when Biden was running and some conservatives opportunistically attacked Biden for his 1994 crime bill. 1994 crime bill is like the only good thing Biden's ever done in public life. That was a good bill. Okay. So we we shouldn't blow in the wind. We shouldn't just take a cheap shot at San Francisco when it's easy to do so. It is good to be tough on crime.
There are risks, and we got to mitigate those risks, and we got to be prudent. Now, speaking of potential tyrannical government, Corinne Jean-Pierre, spokesman for the president, will not say whether or not the White House would be willing to try to shut Twitter down, as the White House has suggested in recent days. When you say that you're going to be monitoring some of the speech on there, if you see something that you don't like, would you try to shut Twitter down? So look, you know, when you when you talk about monitoring, you know, it is, uh, I, I hate to break it to you, Peter, just like everybody else, we very much monitor the news. We pay close attention to everything that you all are reporting, and and Twitter's in the news a lot. And so that's what we're paying attention to. We're paying attention to what is in the news and what is being reported on uh, on the misinformation that's out there. Let's not forget there's groups like NAACP, the Anti-Defamation League, and the public <coughs> health leaders have been very vocal about their concerns as well. So yes, we are uh, reading what you all are, are writing and, and looking at what you all are reporting uh, about the misinformation uh, that is out there. But you know, I would hope that all Americans, uh, including social media, media companies, civil rights organizations I just laid out, <laughs> including Fox as well, will agree that uh, we need to, uh, you know, we need to, uh, to, uh, you know, call out hate speech and misinformation. That's a whole lot of words to say the White House might try to shut down Twitter for allowing conservatives to speak on there. That's a whole lot of words to say it, but that's what she's saying. It's a simple question. You guys have talked about how you're monitoring Twitter because now Twitter is, is, allowing conservatives to speak more freely. Are you willing to shut it down? She says, well, you know, I mean, look, we got to look, we got to look at things and maybe, you know, look, that's a nice Twitter you got there. Sure would be a shame if something happened to it. So I, I don't, the, the reason I mention this, I'm not surprised at all that the Democrats are willing to wield the government to shut down conservatives from having a voice in the public square. But I don't want to hear peep from Democrats on the authoritarian overreach of Ron DeSantis going after Disney. The White House is threatening to shut down Twitter if it allows conservatives to have a voice in the public square. I don't want to hear anything about wielding the government against the private corporations. Give me a break. The Democrats have been doing that since forever, and they continue to do it today in a much more aggressive way than the conservatives do. I don't want to hear it. Well, no, but it's to stop hate speech. Oh yeah, hate speech, by which the Democrats mean uh, speech that they don't like, <laughs> by which the Democrats mean any speech from any conservative ever. Speaking of hate speech, there was a story that, that drove me up a wall. This is a story from the motherland out there in the United Kingdom. It's about a woman who has uh, worked in, in the court for many, many years, 83 years old, lady-in-waiting, to the late Queen Elizabeth, godmother to Prince William, and uh, Buckingham Palace was hosting an event for this charity. And uh, so this woman shows up to the charity, and uh, Prince William's godmother, this nice British aristocratic lady, says, where are you from? And the woman at the charity says, Sister Space. The woman's name is Ngozi Fulani. She's a, a black lady, which is a crucial detail for this story. Because where, where are you from? She says, sister space. No, where do you come from? We're based in Hackney. No, what part of Africa are you from? I don't know. They don't leave any records. <laughs> it's a funny answer. Well, you must know where you're from. I spent time in France. Where are you from? Here, the UK. No, but what nationality are you? 
I am born here and am British. No, but where do you really come from? Where do your people come from? My people, lady, what is this? Oh, I can see I'm going to have a challenge getting you to say where you're from. When did you first come here? Lady, I'm a British national. My parents came here in the 50s when, oh, I knew we'd get there in the end. You're Caribbean. No, lady, I'm of African heritage, Caribbean descent, and British nationality. Oh, so you're from, and so this is allegedly how the conversation went, according to the charity lady. Uh, And let's just take her word for it that this is verbatim how the conversation went. This woman, the charity lady, whined and complained and made a big fuss about this. The, the poor woman, the godmother to Prince William, has been fired. The, the spokesman for Prince William made a statement, said, racism has no place in our society. The comments were unacceptable, and it is right that the individual has stepped aside with immediate effect. This is Lady Hussey, who's 83 years old. Are you kidding me? Are you freaking kidding me? There is nothing wrong with those comments. Yes, is the phrasing a little weird? Yes, did this older woman pester this charity lady with a question that she didn't want to answer? Yes, sure. Have you ever talked to an 83-year-old? Do 80, do, is it not the case that all 83-year-olds so, sometimes speak in a strange way and pester you with questions that you don't want to answer? There is nothing wrong with asking somebody, what's your background? There's nothing wrong with that at all. People ask me frequently, oh, Michael, where, what's your, where's your family from? What, what do you do? Where, what's your background? You're from Sicily? Yeah, yeah, I'm from half, I'm half from Sicily and then half from the British Isles. And oh, yeah, it's in, where in Sicily? Do, 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 do. This is something we ask people all the time. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm British lady. No, she's asking you your background because you're obviously not English. <laughs> you're, the, the English are a people. There are, there are people who look a certain way, and you don't look that way because your family came here as immigrants, which is fine. The British invited your family to come here as immigrants. She's asking a perfectly polite question of what's your background. And she actually got the answer out of you finally, which is, oh, my family background is from the Caribbean, you know, Africa by way of the Caribbean into Britain. Furthermore, the way you know that this is not a question that ought to be off limits is because the libs tell us how important your racial background is. Right. Out of the one side of their mouths, the libs tell us there is pretty much nothing more important to your identity than your race, than your ethnicity, than your nationality, than blackness. And Oh, it's so, blackness is at the heart of the experience of anybody with even slightly dark skin. But on the other hand, how dare you ask me this? Race doesn't matter at all. Ethnicity doesn't matter at all. Nationality doesn't matter at all. How dare you, Lady Hussey, ask that question? It's just totally incoherent. It's totally cynical and opportunistic. I feel terrible for this woman. I think it was extremely cowardly of the court court to fire this woman, godmother to the future king, and, uh, you know, longtime aide and confidant of the late queen, all because this obvious political leftist activist with a chip on her shoulder can't show a little bit of grace to an elderly woman who asked a perfectly fine question in a way that may have been a bit petulant or or poorly worded, but a, a question that we all know deep down is not in any way mean or cruel or offensive. Completely preposterous, and I really wish people would stop caving into these cynical games of the libs, whether we're talking about people here in America or the future king of England. Speaking of political leadership, I've got my friend, Alan Estrin, founder of Prager University, coming on the show because Alan has probably the best take that I have heard on Trump. 
and 2022 and 2024. And Alan has marvelous takes on so very many things. Alan was actually the, I don't know that I've mentioned this on air before. Alan was the crucial figure in getting me to write speechless. Alan, more than basically anybody, is responsible for my book, Speechless. And he's got a great take on on Trump. So the show continues now. That's going to be in the member block. If you are not a member, what's wrong with you? Come on, don't just be part of the hoi polloi. Join the elite, the creme de la creme, the inner circle here at The Daily Wire. Click the description uh, and join us.